Retail Revolution, a unique podcast that features in-depth conversations with guest experts in omni-channel retailing with myriad perspectives, technology, consumer engagement, data analytics, merchandising, and more. We pay special attention to current socio-political issues and challenges and their implications on fashion retail, as well as opportunities to innovate and rethink retail's future. Visit RetailRevolutionPodcast.com for more information, including full transcripts, and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Retail Revolution Podcast. Retail Revolution is produced by Joshua Williams and hosted by Christopher Lacey. Both are assistant professors in the Fashion Management Graduate Program at Parsons School of Design. Stephen Richards has been passionate about men's fashion and suiting since an early age and always dreamt of creating a clothing line. After three years of working in sales for his family's business, Richards decided to follow his passion by starting his own bespoke clothing company. He apprenticed under custom tailor Johnny McCutcheon in Athens, Georgia, until he was ready to venture out on his own. After a year of extensive training, he founded Richards Bespoke. Richards has grown the company into one of the most respected men's fashion brands in Tennessee, winning numerous awards and obtaining some of Tennessee's highest profile clients, as well as some of the most known celebrities around the world, including Patrick Mahomes, Tua Tagliola, and A.J. Brown. Today, I speak with Stephen about the bespoke business model and its sustainable origins, as well as the evolution of men's tailored clothing. I'm Christopher Lacey, and this is Retail Revolution Podcast. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Hey there. Thank you for having me on. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you today because I think we don't talk about bespoke business enough in the industry and really its importance now. So having you on is going to be a highlight for myself and our listeners. Awesome. Yeah. So Stephen, can you tell us briefly about how you got here where you are and wanting to do bespoke? There's one thing about liking fashion and suiting, but it's quite different to go bespoke is what I'm interested in. Yeah, so kind of tell you a, a short, long story. Graduated college, never in a million years would I think that I would have started the business that I have, but I moved back to Nashville for where I was born and raised and went to go work for a family business that my dad and cousin started in a completely unrelated industry, but I worked there for about three and a half years and I was just never really happy. And I kind of did the same thing that most guys will do out of college is purchase off the rack suits, try to get them tailored to fit you and then realize that they still don't fit you quite how you want them to. And they wear out from being made from poor quality. But at the time, that's kind of all you can afford. I purchased my first custom suit from a company here in Nashville and just going through the measuring process, the design process, everything, I, I fell in love with it. And fast forward a little bit, I just wasn't happy working in the family business and decided to make a leap into this industry. In fact, when I first started, I actually wanted to get into retail. But at the time, all the research that I had done and the contacts that I had made and reached out to, I realized that my true passion wasn't having the retail business, but was just having the retail store. And then I realized how much more sustainable and I guess easy entrance into an industry, what custom suiting would be. Uh, as opposed to opening up a full retail store and having to purchase inventory and raise a bunch of capital. So I decided kind of the custom suiting route was the way that I wanted to go. So the training that I had down in Georgia was more of made to measure. And I was so naive when I got in the industry. I didn't know the difference between 
made to measure, custom, bespoke, anything. So the more clients that I started getting, the more I realized that even with made to measure, you can't fit everybody exactly how they'd like it to just because you're limited on patterns and sizing and measurements. So I was introduced to the world of Bespoke from a company up in Minneapolis that kind of took me under their wing for a little bit and introduced me to the Bespoke style of measuring. There is a difference between made to measure and Bespoke. Can you go into that just a little bit, the key differences between those two? Yeah, so made to measure, it starts with an existing paper pattern. So to simply put this as well as I can, when you're going to make a suit, you literally have a paper pattern that's to your measurements. And from there in bespoke, you start with an original paper pattern. So everything's done from scratch. It's traced out your measurements from beginning to end. Whereas made to measure, you start with an existing paper pattern and just kind of alter it from there. So simply put, it's basically altering an existing suit. Just the physical suit hasn't been made up yet. So with made to measure and other forms of custom, you can still pick out the lining and the buttonhole colors and the buttons, but the limitations really come to sizing and pattern making because it's a lot more difficult to start everything from scratch because of the original paper pattern that's being used. This is interesting to talk about because when we look at the fashion industry as a whole, one of the biggest callouts has always been about its lack of inclusivity and that lack of inclusivity really leaning into a lot about sizing. The interesting thing about this is, is when this conversation gets brought up, it's typically talked about for women. And men are kind of not involved in this conversation, which is funny because if you are a guy who has an athletic build or just not the extremely skinny guy that's seen in every ad, shopping right now for you is kind of miserable. (laughs) And what do you think is the cause for the resurrection of bespoke clothing, though? I mean, do you think it's that? Because it really is a craft that's important for us to bring back. Yeah. And in fact, I I did zero market research when I first started this. I truly started it because I was passionate about it. It's a hobby that I could have been paid for. So I dove in and luckily I kind of dove in at the right time because starting in the probably after 2010 to 2015, that's when primarily guys started to be a little bit more conscious about how things fit. You're coming off the 90s where everything was a little bit baggy and then early 2000s. I mean, if you remember when LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and all of them were were drafted, their draft class, if you look at the picture of all of them up on stage, suit looked a lot different back then. Yeah. Uh, even as athletes, they wore them a little bit bigger and baggier. And I think uh, with the revolution of people becoming more in shape and, and being conscious about wanting to be healthier and trim up, and especially for guys that are putting a lot of hours in the gym, they kind of want to show it off with what they wear every day. And uh, I think too many people are used to the vanity sizing of looking at a mannequin and saying, I can't look like that because that's not my shape. But in actuality, everything that we make is for you. So it's going to complement in areas that you never thought that you could. When you're creating something, a lot of that goes into the fabric, right? Fabric plays a huge role in how something lays on a body. And I want to ask you about over the years, because you brought up the suits that we used to see before where they were really baggy and even the fabric options, they were good, but not always as functional, I would say, as what I think we're seeing now. So what do you feel has changed a lot about fabric options over the years? And I'm also going to ask this relative to sustainable and functional fabrics when it comes to men's suiting. Are you seeing a change in that fabric option? Oh, of course. And ever since I got in the industry, I didn't realize how much research and studying that I have to do about fabrics. It's a part of my consultation process when clients come in looking for a suit. I want to know what it's for. Is it for everyday business use? Is it more so for events, weddings? They have to travel a lot. 
and what goes into that fabric. It's a lot more complex than I thought. And I think a lot of guys are wanting to have the same mindset of less in their closet, but more quality. For me, sustainability is huge. Basically giving a guarantee to, to clients when they're purchasing certain fabrics that these fabrics will last the rest of your life as long as you take care of them. And even with fast fashion, the materials used for certain things, I mean, they're not meant to last more than a year because it's only in style for that season. That's why you don't want to pump a bunch of money into it because it's probably not going to be the style the next season. But for suiting, it's great because it's like a revolving door for guys. Patterns, colors, things kind of go in and out of style, but you can wear a suit from the early 2000s. And as long as it fits to the preference of what you want it now, if it's made with good quality, certain patterns just really don't go out of style. Again, I've always said it's like a revolving door. It's just hold on to it and take care of it because this is something that could last the rest of your life. And I think people will understand that, especially if they went through the process that I went through first starting out buying suits is you just need as many as you can and you don't really care about the, the quality of it because you can't afford something that's more expensive. Before I got in the industry, I probably had 10, 15, 20 suits and sport coats that were wearing out after a year or two. Mm -hmm. And I realized that if I put a little bit more money into it, that it would last longer. So it's kind of like always buying used tires for your car. They're going to be a lot cheaper, but they're going to wear out faster and you're going to have to replace them again. So when it's all said and done, you've probably put more money into something that was cheaper than you would if you would have just started from scratch with something made with better quality. You bring up something that is similar to what the denim industry experiences. And it's really from a care perspective. A lot of people feel the need that they probably should wash their denim every single time they wear it. And many denim producers are like, actually don't, don't wash your jeans. And people are like, wait, what do you mean? I'm not supposed to wash my jeans. Yeah. And if you were to say that to like a New Yorker who's been on the subway, they're like, no, I'm, I got to wash my jeans. <laughs> so when it comes to a gentleman or a female who's wearing a suit, how often should they dry clean them? We used to talk about this all the time when I was in retail and there used to be guys that would like dry clean their suits. So, you know, it would become shiny. <laughs> so when we talk about longevity, care, sustainability, is there kind of a, a range you should be in for how often you're taking your suit to be dry cleaned? This is the number one question I'm asked when guys come in to pick up their suits is, so how often should I dry clean it? And their eyes always get this big when I say, I've got over 100 suits in my closet. I've never dry cleaned one of them. And they kind of look at me like, you're crazy. That's, that's impossible. You have to. And most people, if they don't wear them often, whether it's for events or weddings, that type of thing, they say that they're getting it dry cleaned after every use. And I tell them, depending on the fabric, which anything that we provide, you're going to be able to hang it up in your closet after using it. And most of the fabrics, the wrinkles were released on their own just because of the type of fabric. But dry cleaning, especially with some older dry cleaning companies that haven't adapted to more, I guess, eco-friendly instead of using chemicals that are going to harm the fabric, is that it will, in fact, discolor them. It'll fade them a little bit if you're dry cleaning them too often. And I say that not everybody has to, again, I have over 100 suits in my closet, so I'm not wearing them often enough to wear I'd actually be worried about if I spill something on it or if I'd sweat profusely at an outdoor wedding, you're going to need to get it dry cleaned. And just because of the, the overall care and the, the actual fabric needs to be cleaned. But at most, I've always said, even if you're wearing them on a weekly basis, don't get them dry cleaned more than quarterly. For me, a steamer is my best friend. It was a gift that my dad purchased from when I was in college. And I never understood it until I got out of college. And I realized after each wear, you turn on the steamer, steam out the back of the jacket, the arms, the pants wrinkles because that's what I think mainly what everybody's worried about is the wrinkles that might incur while wearing it for a long period of time. And that's the reason that they're thinking that they should get it dry cleaned. And, and I've written blogs all about sustaining the life of the materials by just taking care of them, whether that's 
using the wide shoulder hanger that I provide with all the suits and sport coats, hanging them up after you get done using them. It pains me when clients will come in because I ask them to bring in their best fitting suit when they're getting measured just so I can kind of gauge off of something of what they've had previously. And they'll bring it in on a wire hanger and the jacket is basically being tugged down or they'll bring it in a dry cleaning bag and just say that it's been stuffed in my closet for the past two months. That's why the garment care instructions that I provide all my clients for how to care and maintain the life of the, the garment, I say the very beginning, these are only going to last you as long as you'll take care of them. Stuffing it in a suitcase or in your closet uh, without caring kind of how to fold it or how to hang them up or just being hard on them while wearing them. The seams are only meant to last so long if, if you're putting a lot of stress and pressure on them. So it kind of all goes back to take care of it and it'll take care of you as long as you kind of put in the effort. It's no different than maintaining your car and keeping up with all the things that could go out and having to replace things. As long as you put some effort into it, then with the right quality and, and craftsmanship, then you shouldn't have to worry about it. You mentioned just a few moments ago that you write about this in your blog. And I love that you just, as you were talking about how to take care of things and really what you should and shouldn't do and how you want to educate your client as they come in. I want to ask you about that consumer who they know they care about sustainable products and being conscious about what they purchase, but they're also in a different socioeconomic bracket. And by that, not many guys are being taught about what to do with a suit or tailor clothing. I think most guys, I mean, the first moment might be, I don't know, graduation. If you're lucky, if you have a, a bar mitzvah or prom. But if you are this consumer, you appreciate craftsmanship, but your budget is tight. And I know that you've written a blog about why, I think it was called the why the $600 suit isn't worth it. And you talked about it a bit earlier. What do they do? Do they just go to a suit supply place and just kind of go with it? How do they kind of access this world? When someone says bespoke, I mean, that means a lot. So if you can't get to bespoke and you're not in that socioeconomic bracket, what's your advice to that conscious consumer? My dad taught me at an early age that, and he's the one that kind of got me into to fashion, men's suiting in particular, but he would always tell me that every month you need to add one thing to your closet. That could be a suit, that could be a pair of socks, that could be a belt. It could be anything revolving around your everyday wardrobe, but to kind of budget yourself, obviously some months are going to be more expensive than others if you're purchasing a suit over socks, but to just always be adding something to it. And for me, starting out, I'll never fault anybody that goes to the, and I won't name them, but the big box stores that pretty much everybody has had an experience with where you can buy one suit and get half the store for free. I've been there when I'm graduating college. I think I was making $28,000 a year. A bespoke suit was certainly not in the cards for me. I think my first custom suit that I purchased was after a big tax return check before I realized <laughs> that that was, I just overpaid the IRS. It's not like I was getting a bonus, but I used it on a custom suit. And that's kind of when I fell in love with the process. But starting out, whether it's going to one of those stores or, or Suit Supply or Indochino, again, I'll never fault anybody that does it if that's the only thing that's within their budget. And I also want people to experience. I, I had a client early on when I started this that when he came in, he purchased two suits from me. And when he came back, he goes, I wasn't going to tell you this, but I actually went to, I believe it was either Suit Supply or Indochino. And he goes, I've experienced the made to measure process and the fit and the design options. And He's like, I wasn't trying to compare the two, but I just, my own self, he said I was conscious about spending money and I wanted to see the difference. 
Um, and I think that's the beauty about it as well, is if you start somewhere, because everybody has to start somewhere. Not everybody can graduate college or, you know, whether they're in high school, purchase a suit that costs what a bespoke suit does. And so kind of experiencing everything. And he told me, he goes, I mean, it was unmatched. And I can tell the difference in the quality. And if there's anything I've learned throughout this venture of starting this business is I appreciate quality way more. And I know that certain things cost less, but there's a reason for it. And I have some friends and some acquaintances that have told me, and I see them often that wear those suits that are 300 to $600. And the fit's fine. That's not always the issue. It's more so the quality and how long it's going to last. So that's why I tell people, if this is something you're going to be putting a lot of wear in, whether it's weekly or every so often, you're going to know the difference in quality very quickly. And especially with the construction of the garment, especially if it's not made by hand, because if you're not sewing by hand, they're going to be using thinner threads that they can spin faster to construct the jacket and the pants. And so Going back to it, I've always said, if you can't afford it, that's something that needs to be put into your budget. If, if you appreciate quality and craftsmanship, and if you know, hey, I'm going to be wearing suits every day to work, or if I'm only wearing them every so often, this is something that you want, implement in your budget to save up for it. I've had countless clients to come in saying that it was my goal all through law school is to, as soon as I graduated and started making a little bit of money, I was going to buy my first bespoke suit. So people that appreciate the quality behind it. I think that they're not going to have as much of an issue budgeting for it and saving up for it. But from then on out, I mean, it needs to be kind of a part of your lifestyle of how you save and how you spend. And I know a lot of people have adopted that same process when picking out furniture and, and things for their homes that whether it's a car or a couch, anything that they understand that if you spend a little bit more money, there's a reason for it. And granted, that's not always the case. Some things are overpriced. That's why for me, I keep moving my entry level price up a little bit just because of demand. I would rather not sell a, a certain suit that I could sell for X price for 500 to 1,000 more because they're not getting the quality of what it should cost. And I know for, for a lot of my clients, they're only buying the entry level. And our entry level fabric, it's a great fabric. I still wear some of the suits from it and have for the past three, four years. But in terms of starting out, whether it's something like one of the made to measure online big box stores, even Nordstrom, or any of those retailers. We've got a luxury consignment store right around the corner from my shop that I actually worked part-time at when I was starting out. Those are great options as well. Luxury consignment, you're buying something that used to retail for probably 75% more of what it costs, but it's been worn by somebody else in the past, but it's all good quality. And that's kind of the, the beauty about it. That's kind of what the frustrating part is when people put a lot of money into something that is off the rack, that's not made with good quality. You're just paying for the brand name. And then they're having to pay to get it altered. So they're taking apart the suit, which can affect the longevity of it. But starting out, I'll never fault anybody for starting out with that 300 to $600 suits. It's the people that will constantly complain about the quality or the craftsmanship of it, but they just don't want to spend over $1,000 on a suit. So we've talked about quite a bit the customer engagement component and really the customer experience component, which... What you do is, yeah, you're making a beautiful product. I think a lot of what makes a bespoke process so beautiful and attractive to the customer is the experience in and of itself. It, it is like nothing else. It is all about you, the customer. Now, for you as a designer and you are going through this process, what is the most exciting part of the process for you? Is it when you're picking out fabric somewhere and, and seeing how your customers will react to it? Is it that engagement? Is it the designing of it? What is it for you that when you wake up every day, you're like, this is exactly why I do this? For me personally, as the one that's selling it, my favorite part is the design. I always joke with clients because part of the process is they come in, we do the consultation. 
talk about what it is they need. Then we do the measurements. And I always joke with them is it takes about 20, 30 minutes to measure somebody with how many measurements that we have to take. And I always joke and say that this is my least favorite part too, because they're having to stand still for 20 to 30 minutes while somebody's wrapping a tape around them. And I always say that the next part's the fun part. That's when we start designing. And I think with a lot of guys specifically, women are the complete opposite. From the moment they walk in, that's what they're most excited about is the design. But a lot of guys, I think over the years have become a lot more comfortable with being more passionate and having a little bit more fun with how they dress. So typically somebody's pretty quiet when they come in and we go through the measuring process and we go upstairs for the design process. And once I start pulling out fabrics, they kind of get overwhelmed a little bit. But then once they start narrowing down on, we're first going to pick out the suit fabric and then we go with the lining on the inside. And once they start to see everything coming together and realizing all the options that they get to pick out. And for me, it's always the coordinating of colors, whether it's the buttons, the thread colors, the lining on the inside of the jacket. We've got over a thousand different options for linings. And that's always a fun way to figure out their personalities because we have a lot of what I call hobby-based linings, whether it's sports, cigars, motorcycles, anything that can kind of implement to their personality. That's when that's a little bit more business on the front or on the outside and a little bit more of a party on the inside. And (laughs) And so for them to go through that process is their personalities just completely open up to where they were kind of the masculine part of them when they're originally coming in is that I'm I'm not supposed to like fashion. That's not mm-hmm. how I grew up. And this wasn't something that I cared about. But then once they see everything starting to come together and then it's always when they come back in to pick it up when they see the finished product and they're like, OK, now it makes even more sense why we're picking out those colors with those buttons, with that lining, with the fabric. And once it all comes together. It's always exciting for them to be that much more excited about it. When you were just talking about it, you were talking about this idea of the masculine side of them. And you also mentioned when women come in enjoying the design process. For you, have you noticed a shift in how men and women are engaging with you around this concept of tailored clothing? And I ask because gender neutrality has been a topic of conversation for five or six years on the fast fashion side and that really fashion forward side of the industry. And are you seeing that kind of move over into your tailored clothing world? Definitely. Yes. Yes. And with women specifically, they have a lot more fun with it and they, I'm I'm laughing to myself because any guy that walks in, their hand needs to be held throughout the entire process. And they are kind of relying on you for what they're looking for in colors and patterns and styles. Because either they've never been through the process before or have things custom framed at the shop. And, you know, it was full circle. And they asked me, well, what color mat do you want to do for this and the shape of this? And I was like, oh, what do people normally do? And that's nine times out of 10, what most guys will say when we're going through the design processes. What's the most common? What are guys typically doing these days? Whereas women, they're so creative and I love it because it's almost like they're doing my job for me. It's just a lot more options that they're looking because almost every guy that walks in, I can tell you in the first five minutes of talking to them, the style of suit that they're looking for, the design options, just from their personality and from you know what they've worn previously. But for women, some want layers at the bottom of their pants. Some want it almost skin tight. It just really depends on what it is that they're in the mood for. And then kind of for being gender neutral, we've had a number of people to email in or call in saying, hey, this is my current situation. This is what I'm looking for. It's almost hesitant because I think that they've asked around to other places that maybe weren't as inviting. And that's why I said the beauty about Bespoke is it doesn't matter your height, weight, skin color, gender, anything. 
If you have a vision, if you want to come in and get measured, we're going to make something specifically for you. I love that. So you're in Tennessee. When we think about the fashion landscape and bespoke clothing, it's not happening in Tennessee. So I guess for you, how are you doing this in Tennessee? It's really interesting. And the reason I'm asking is because we have people who are listening to this from all over the world. And I think in their mind, there's this idea that you need to be in New York or you have to be in L.A., or Milan, or in Paris, to make these differences. Like, that's where they need to go. And that's not where you are. You're doing this on a local level. So how did that happen? Originally, starting out, actually, I wanted to move to Austin, Texas, and potentially Dallas, Texas, to start this. And that was a very short-lived dream of mine. Just because I was from Nashville, born and raised, it's not like I started with a book of business from the beginning, but I did start with a list of contacts. I could tell them what I was doing, if they had any referrals, or if they knew anybody that was interested in custom suiting. And for me, I'm not going to lie, again, I didn't do much market research, and, and I didn't know how many people were wearing suits on a daily basis or had the need for it in Nashville. And you know, even throughout COVID, I was never really worried because leads kept coming in. I would say probably about 75% of my client base, it is not for everyday use, what they're purchasing suits or sport coats or anything like that for. It's more so for events, probably about a little less than 30% of our business is, is weddings. We did over 100 weddings last year, even in kind of the downturn of uh, pandemic for COVID, but those never really stopped as much as, as I thought they would. And even being in Nashville, it's more of a sport coat in jeans town. Very few businesses require you to wear a suit every day. And the ones that do, obviously, I, I love them as clients because they're going to need more. But the ones that are coming in that choose to wear it, that's where I, I had to kind of become strategic with marketing and who I was targeting and going after. Because it's like, all right, I looked at my top 10 to 25 clients and what do they do for a living? Why do they have to wear a suit or why do they want to wear a suit? And then just kind of strategically maneuver around to figure out who it is I'm, I'm going after. And I'd say my favorite clients are the ones that choose to wear it. They don't have to wear it to work. They just enjoy the look of it, whether it's jeans and a sport coat or a, a three-piece suit. It was hard navigating that in the beginning and trying to figure out who it was that I was going after. But I wanted to convince anybody off the street that they should buy a bespoke suit. And then I realized that it's a certain demographic that you're going after that does enjoy what it is I do. And that's the thing about it is you recognize that you have a niche market and that's okay, right? And sometimes I think when a lot of people are starting out, the idea is that they want everyone to like everything that they do. And that can drive you crazy. And you quickly realize you're like, everyone's not going to be into this. And, and that has to be okay. Yeah, it took a while. And I realized I'm not going to sell to everybody. Yeah, but I, I totally said it like it was something that came to you like really quick. And I'm sure you were like, no, that took about about six months before I got to that point. It took a little bit longer than that, but that was kind of the you know, <laughs> burn by fire, get through it. So how can our listeners stay up to date with what you're doing? Because you're bringing back and, and you're really there in an industry that's the true sustainable model. And how can people hear about what you're doing in Nashville and in other places? So social media, we're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Instagram a little bit more heavily. So our Instagram handle is Richards underscore bespoke. I think you can find us on Facebook the same way. Uh, and then also website. If you go to our website, uh, richardsbespoke.com, you can sign up for our newsletter. We need to be sending out more than we are, but anything from updates, blogs, tips on fashion, what's relevant in the industry right now, or just kind of what's going on with us and what we're making. But I'd say the website and Instagram are, are definitely the best ways to stay in contact. 
Awesome. I'm going to tell you, I feel like in the next six months, you should consider a YouTube where you kind of take us through Richard's bespoke style, your perception. I've, I've, <laughs> I've looked into it and I've been told that by so many people. And it's, Instagram was hard enough for me to, to build tour heads at right now. And it's, it's almost a full-time job, but it, it is definitely something that's on the horizon for us because, you know, that's, that's one of the main things that I want to do is, is to inform and to educate and to make people understand why it is they're investing in something that's a little bit more expensive than they've probably purchased in the past. Awesome. Steven, it was amazing to have you on the show today. Good luck with everything that continues going on in your career, your business, personal life. Can't wait to hear what else happens with you. Yeah, Christopher, I greatly appreciate it. And thank you all for having me. Thank you. Take care. All right. See you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Retail Revolution. A very special thank you to everyone who has helped make this podcast possible. If you'd like to support the work we're doing, please visit our show page at retailrevolutionpodcast.com and click on the donate link. Our theme music was composed by Spencer Powell. Be well and stay tuned for our next episode.